0: The unexpected death of a loved one is devastating. How much more grief is heaped onto your mourning when you find out that your loved one was actually murdered? And what does that type of tragedy do to a tight-knit community? Let's find out. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. I'm so glad you've joined me for another captivating true crime story where physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways are waiting for us. If you're listening right now, I believe you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI, not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is season four, episode 47. Our book for the next two weeks is We Thought We Knew You, a terrifying true story of secrets, betrayal, deception, and murder by M. William Phelps. And we're going to welcome back licensed private counselor, and Pastor David Branick is our guest for the next two weeks. Really excited about that. We'll check in with David after we investigate the fascinating case of the murder of Mary Yoder. 60-year-old Mary Yoder was a go-getter. Not only did she run a thriving chiropractic office with her husband, Bill, she was also very passionate about sharing her ideas about healthy living and healthy eating with people. Whenever she was in a hurry at lunch, She did grab one of her go-to protein shakes. But it was time for them both to start slowing down. Mary and Bill were looking to sell their practice so that they could travel. But it had to be just the right person who would care for their patients just like they would. They also had to have somebody that would treat their staff like family. Literally in one case. Their son Adam worked part-time for them as he was finishing up his degree. At one point, he convinced his parents to also hire his girlfriend Katie. Sounds cozy, right? It was, until the young couple's relationship went south. Adam got to the point where he wanted nothing more to do with Katie and all of her drama, yet he just couldn't seem to completely break away from her either. Mary and Bill were excited to be leaving on vacation and getting away from all that drama. Just a few days before they were scheduled to leave, Mary came home from work sicker than she'd been in a long time. But it seemed like just a bad stomach bug that would need to run its course. But Mary just got sicker and sicker. Bill called their daughter, Leanna, who was a doctor. She thought her mom needed to go to the hospital for no other reason than to just get some fluids back in her system. Interestingly, Adam had been sick like this just a few months earlier. Of course, he got through it, and so they were all sure that Mary would too. The doctors at the hospital just could not seem to figure out why Mary was so very sick they finally decided she might be having gallbladder issues because you just don't automatically assume that someone is being poisoned, right? Unless you're a frequent listener to this podcast. At one point, Mary's heart even stumped. After they were able to revive her, she was intubated and could hardly move. The family was devastated and shocked at just how fast Mary had deteriorated. Katie stepped in with an offer to help with anything they needed. Even though she'd been out of Adam's life, mostly, for months now, she was there for him and his family in this time of such great need. Finally, Mary seemed to rebound. It didn't last. And soon, a formerly very healthy Mary Yoder was dead. Doctors were so puzzled by why she was dead that they performed a death investigation. The family, meanwhile, was preparing for a celebration of Mary's life. And Katie was still hanging around, still helping any way she could. Still, some people might find that just a little bit odd, since she and Adam weren't together anymore. But that wasn't from a lack of Katie trying. She'd taken care of him back when he'd had those symptoms similar to Mary's. Some of her efforts, though, weren't so positive. She had actually faked a pregnancy and a suicide attempt to try to keep Adam in her life. At the time, Adam hadn't known that one of her high school nicknames had been Crazy Katie. After doctors had run scores of tests, they finally figured out what had killed Mary. It was colchicine. Now, colchicine is used to treat things like gout, which Mary didn't actually have. So now the question was, how did the colchicine actually get into Mary's system? Adam knew he wanted to help get to the bottom of that mystery. So he gathered things from the chiropractic office and he took them to the medical examiner to test. All except the things that Katie told him absolutely would never have been touched by his mother. And oddly, she told Adam that she had been so very upset when Mary was in the hospital and Katie had been told that only family could see her. She'd had to badger Adam to let her in to see Mary when she was getting a little bit better. And Bill was having his own female troubles. As he tried to adjust to life after the loss of his spouse, he turned to Mary's widowed sister, Kathleen, to ask her how she had learned to cope when she had lost her husband. Seems pretty innocent to me, and maybe to you, but not to Mary's other sister, who absolutely insisted that Bill and Kathleen had been growing closer before Mary's death. We'll talk more about that next week on Part 2 of Frame: Who Killed Dr. Mary Yoder, David, I am so excited to welcome you back to The Unlovely Truth. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you, Lori, for having me back.
0: Your expertise as not only a counselor, but a pastor really stood out to me when I was reading this book. And so I I knew you were the one I wanted to talk to about this.
1: Well, thank you. It's a good combination, I think, They both feed off each other.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. And I am a serious book nerd. And so when I read this book, it reminded me of this wonderful quote from the Russian novel Anna Kiranina by Leo Tolstoy. And it says, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And I think today we might switch that word unhappy for dysfunctional. (laughs) And this was an exceedingly dysfunctional family. And I know you've dealt with that as a pastor and a counselor. I want to talk about something that I know a lot of families struggle with and this one definitely did and that's being overly enmeshed in each other's lives you know they were not only family a lot of them worked together they just spent an awful lot of time together how much tension can that cause
1: oh gosh when the umbilical cord is not cut emotionally Yes, there is a lot of tension when you do not have healthy boundaries where you cannot tell where one family member ends and the other begins. Yes, uh, because it's one thing for a family to be close, but yet still be individuals. But when they're just all mushed together emotionally, that does not end well.
0: And not only did they just have a lot of drama, it just made me think about All of us who are getting ready, we just had Thanksgiving as you and I are recording this and we're moving into the Christmas season, so lots of time together with people who maybe shouldn't spend a lot of time together. In our own lives, what can we do to lessen all that drama and dysfunction at our own family get-togethers?
1: What are our acceptable limits? What do we need for us to feel like we can keep ourselves safe to keep ourselves sane, Perhaps instead of staying in a family member's home, if we're visiting from out of town, do we get a motel room so that we can have some distance, some separation, so we're not together? And then while we're under the same roof at a gathering, you know, do we need to If the weather cooperates to go out and and take a walk or just go outside for a few minutes or go sit in another room for a few minutes to separate ourselves so that we're not just constantly dealing with whatever it is that's fueling that dysfunction. We can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do and decide what are we willing to to tolerate and, and what we say, nope, that This is a boundary that I need to set for myself so that I can go home and not immediately need a therapy session when I get home.
0: That's so true. And I love that you use the word boundaries because I think we have a very hard time setting them. We feel guilty. And a great example of a relationship with no boundaries in this case was Adam and Caitlin. They were up and down. They were off and on. That made things difficult for the entire family. So help us navigate those choppy waters of having a loved one that you know is in a toxic relationship. You see it every time you are together, but they can't see it. How do we help those, those folks?
1: We talk to them, try to lead with expressing to make sure they know that we're coming from a place of love and concern. It, it, it is definitely a balancing act because if you push too hard, then how many times does the, the loved one rebel and it drives, it pushes them ever closer into the arms of that person who's not good for him? So simply just saying, well, they're not good for you. Our family member is not likely to say, oh, okay. And immediately in that relationship. So to, to sit down and say, I, I care for you. I'm concerned for you and ask questions. How does this person make you feel? You know, when you're with them, do they encourage you do they make you feel good about yourself do they encourage you to spend time with your family with your friends or do they try to isolate you and get you to spend all your time just with them do they uh, speak well about your friends and your family uh, to ask questions to try to invite them to come up with the answers connect the dots themselves because if you just connect the dots for them and say here it is they're probably not gonna receive that very well. But to ask those open-ended questions and to invite them if they're honest with themselves so that they can come and see, you know, this person really is, they're not good for me or, or maybe we're too close and we need to step back and, and have some distance.
0: Connecting the dots can be really, really difficult. If they're seeing different behaviors, but they're not connecting them to the fact that those are toxic, Are there things we can say to kind of help them see that a little better?
1: One illustration, because I love analogies, one illustration that I sometimes use when people aren't making those connections is the image of two trees. Obviously, people can't see because this is a podcast, but what I would do is I would hold my arms up side by side parallel. And i say, these are two healthy trees. They're side by side, but their branches will grow out and they'll connect together. Use that in the context of uh, a marriage or a long time committed relationship. So what often happens, though, is that people will start out and one tree will lean against the other or maybe both trees lean against each other to prop each other up. And I said, that's not healthy. That's what happens when you're a meshed is that if one tree is leaning into the other or both trees are leaning together into each other, then what happens if one tree stands up or moves back? It's going to, the other is going to fall down. You need some separation between you so that you can then more fully be together. Sometimes illustrations like that, and that I know that's not one size fits all. That won't work in every situation. But sometimes things like that to get people where you're not talking about their boyfriend, their girlfriend, whoever, their partner. But if they can get them thinking of something different for a minute, and then they can make the connection. Kind of like what the prophet Nathan did with King David, he didn't come at him and say, You know, you're an adulterer. He told a story about somebody stealing somebody's one lamb. And then he made the connection to use an illustration like a tree. Or something like that. Sometimes that can help connect the dots. Where you're not talking directly about that person, that way their guard is down. They're able to hear it more uh, because you're not talking directly about the person that you think is toxic for them. But they're they don't want to see it or don't want to admit it.
0: I think that's very key. Separating the behavior from the person. And I've used kind of the technique of asking someone if this type of behavior was being directed toward, you know, your little sister, your best friend, your whoever. Yes. What would you say to that person?
1: Yes, that uh, that is an excellent point, Lori, because in cases of, well, any kind of abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, it, yes, it, would you say that to your best friend? Well, no. Well, why is it okay for somebody else to say that to you? Or would you say that to your brother, your sister, your mom, or your dad? Well, no. Well, then why is it okay for this other person to say that to you? Or if you had a friend in a similar situation, what would you say to them? And to go along with what he was saying, you know, if this happened to your little sister, absolutely to uh, invite people to think. And that goes back to the questions asking the question. Get them to think about it and answer. And that will, over time, they'll hopefully connect those dots, make those connections and see, you know, maybe this relationship is not as healthy as it could be. Either we can do some things to make it healthy or perhaps the best thing is to end it all together.
0: And the enmeshment really involved the whole family. But one thing that disturbed me the most, huge red flag, Caitlin's behavior toward Adam was extremely controlling. How can we recognize that in our own lives if there are people that are being overly controlling with us? Or again, if we see that in a loved one's life, how can we best address that?
1: For our own lives, how much freedom do we have? Do we have freedom to spend money the way that we want to? Or do we have to answer to somebody else for every nickel and dime and dollar that we spend are we allowed to have conversations with other people or do they monitor our every text our every phone call? Are we allowed to see other people without them? And I don't mean like dating I'm just, you know, to go out with a buddy once in a while, or do we always have to spend all our, our spare time with them? So yes, how much freedom and independence of uh, choice does that person honor in us to let us exercise without trying to make us feel guilty or overly demand too much accountability when it's not necessary as far as in somebody else i think it goes back to those questions what would happen if you if you went and spent this money and didn't tell him would you be in trouble or not oh uh, i'd get crushed at. hmm interesting So again, those open-ended questions to invite people to think about, do you like this? Do you wish it were different? And and hopefully they'd be honest and think about it. Well, nobody enjoys being controlled.
0: Okay, this next question is kind of a big one. So this may take a while to work through and that's okay. We've all done this. It did happen a lot in this case, but we have all made excuses for people's disturbing behavior. Yes. And even if it's a very recent history, something they just did, I'm not talking about, well, this person was different in the past, they've changed, now they're better. In the case with Caitlin, it was reported that she had keyed an ex's car. That's pretty extreme behavior. Rather than trying to change that person, because you and I know that isn't possible, how do we change ourselves so we can get ourselves over that that destructive habit of allowing people to get away with things they should be held accountable for we make excuses when people do things oh they were stressed oh they just lost their job oh this or that how do we break that habit on our own of excusing other people's bad behavior
1: you know a lot of people do get stressed but they don't react in a bad way. They don't They don't say those hurtful words. They don't break dishes or destroy furniture. A lot of people get broken up with, and yes, they're hurt, but they don't take a key and, and run it down the side of somebody's car. They don't do like the Carrie Underwood song and, you know, flash a hole in all four tires and smash the headlights and all. They They don't do that, even though you might want to. If people tolerate that, well, then I'm sure that person feels like, well, I did this and nobody pushed back. I guess it's okay. So where's the incentive for them to exercise self restraint the next time? No, they're going to dial it up even more. Inappropriate behavior is still inappropriate regardless of what happened. Even if you lost your job or your dog died or whatever, that still doesn't give you a right to go and be violent towards somebody else or just be be hateful and mean and nasty to somebody else.
0: So if we see that happening, we recognize in ourselves or in our family circle that someone is continually getting away with something. You, you know, you said you're, you're kind of training them of what they can get away with. I interviewed a, another PI. We're talking about stalking. And they said, if, if you ignore 100 calls and answer on the 101st, You've taught them that it takes 101 calls to get you to answer. So if we have taught people, well, as long as you are under stress, I'm not going to say anything. How do we change that without becoming bullies ourselves and saying, you know, you absolutely will behave this way or that way?
1: So with a family member, if we see that, Mm -hmm. then if there's a a couple of uh, family members and if there's two or three, that's even better. So it's not just, you know, one person. To sit down with that person and said, we know you've you've been through a hard time, but we've noticed this behavior, this pattern that concerns us. We don't think that this is right and we're no longer going to turn a blind eye to it and we're going to gently but firmly put up some guardrails and call you on it if this happens again. You can't change what's happened in the past, but to, to let that person know, give them fair warning that from this point forward, you're not going to just look the other way and say, oh, well, that's, well, you know, make excuses for them. And then when, not if, but when they act up, then, okay, you know, that's not appropriate. You can find a better way to respond. It's the follow-through. Don't set up the guardrail if it's going to be made out of paper mache I mean, you've got to be willing to follow through on it.
0: What about in dating relationships like we had in this case? there would be threats, there would be intimidation, there would be passive aggressive behavior, and uh, mostly on the part of Caitlin. And Adam would always, he thought to protect her, give in, go back to her, It, it was just so toxic. So what do we do in dating relationships to get out of those patterns?
1: as mom or dad, brother, sister or, or whoever and say, tell me about help me understand. You keep being on again, off again. So why do you keep going back? Help me understand what's the the draw for you. What's the benefit to you? Try to hear his explanation and try to help him understand, help him see why this is unhealthy the couple's gonna have a conflict now and again, sure, but to this extent where where it's th- this kind of coercion, intimidation, manipulation, that's not healthy at all. So how, how, is this, how is this helping you? Do you feel like you can't do any better than this person? Are you so desperate for companionship, you feel like you're going to settle for this person who does not respect your freedom, your free will, who just trashes your self-esteem that makes you feel like you're dirt? and. That's somehow they're doing you a favor by letting you hang around with them. She moved to the other side of the world and you never saw or heard from her again. Would you Would you be thrilled? Well, if the answer is yes, then why are you hanging on to her? Why do you keep going back to her?
0: I love that. And I think, too, like you had the example of David and Samuel, you know, describe the situation to them. As if it's two other people and ask them, does that look healthy to you? Is that what you would want for yourself? And if they say no, you can say, but that's what I see when I look at your relationship.
1: Yes. And I, I love the way you phrase it. That's what I see. Because if you say, well, that's what's happening, then, then they could push back on that. But if you say that's what I see, they really don't have a legitimate reason to push back on that because your opinion, your viewpoint is your opinion, your viewpoint. And if that's what you see, that's what you see. So that that makes it a better conversation where you're saying, this is my perspective, but you're still leaving the door open for them to choose whether they're going to embrace your perspective to consider it or if they want to continue on being miserable. I don't know if this is relevant or not. It It just popped to mind. I've told clients this story about the hound dog and the nail. Old farmer's sitting on his front porch. He's got a hound dog and he's up on the front porch and he's just laying there going, Woo. you know. And, and a friend comes by and, and walks up and sits on the porch and said, Well, you know, why is your hound dog howling like that? And the farmer said, Well, because he's laying on a nail. And the friend said, Well, why didn't he get up and move? He said, Because the nail doesn't bother him that much.
0: Oh, that's heartbreaking.
1: And that's, that... that's what we do. We, we, we lay on the nail and we moan and groan and, oh, I don't like this. We'll get up and move. Well, it doesn't bother me enough to motivate me to get up. So we're a like hound dog on the nail. I've been that hound dog on the nail many times in my life. So I, I'm not pointing fingers at other people.
0: I'm sure we've all been that hound dog at one point or another. And I hope everybody understands we're not talking about extreme circumstances where you're fearing for your life. And you're you're staying because you are so scared that leaving is actually physically a worse situation.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because when when people do try to leave controlling abusive relationships, that is the most dangerous time when they leave or right after it. There are many times where a, a person typically it's a woman, but men can be abused and controlled as well. And well, why don't they leave? Well, if the other partner is controlling all the finances. And I know you've had episodes where you talk specifically about that. If you don't have any money, you don't own anything, how can you leave? You know?
0: Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And I'll put a link in the show notes of that episode um, because it'll give you a good resource if you or someone you know is in that situation.
1: Yeah. A lot of times people stay because. They feel like their life depends on it uh, or, or, or they, they can't provide for their children because they own nothing because the man has a 100% charge and say so over it. So, yes, so, those situations are, are different. The situation that we were talking about was when somebody could set a boundary, could potentially even end a relationship and not be in fear for their safety you know, as a general rule.
0: Well, we have barely scratched the surface of this case. So make sure you don't miss next week's episode where we'll wrap this up. But before we go, David, you, like I said before, are a pastor. You're a counselor in the East Tennessee area. If somebody would want to get in touch with you about speaking or anything, you are a writer, if people want to see, you know, what you put out there, how would they get in touch with
1: My email address would be the easiest way. Um, I'm sure you'll put a link in the show notes, but davidegranick at gmail.com.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for, I I love your gentle wisdom. You're so easy to listen to and um, just so spot on with your advice. So I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week.
1: Thank you so much, Lori.
0: The Bible verse I picked for us to go through today in conjunction with this particular case is from Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 4, and this is from the NIV. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I've been overwhelmed with anger before. It is not a good time to make decisions and not a good time to even be interacting with others. It's too easy to want to get revenge on the person who did Whatever we decided was worth losing our temper to start with. Here, the Bible teaches that as bad as that kind of situation is, how it can tempt us to act in ways we shouldn't, jealousy can get us even more bent out of shape. We're all true crime friends here. We've all read the books and watched the shows about the terrible things that people can choose to do when someone has something they want, like the title of this week's book, We Thought We Knew You. It can be hard to recognize harmful behavior in people we admire people we like, or even people we love. The failure of numerous people to recognize a seriously disturbed person cost Mary Yoder her life. Now, we need to stop and think for just a minute. Who in our lives or the lives of our loved ones needs to be looked at a little more closely? They may not be lethal, but that doesn't mean that they can't do a lot of damage physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. It is okay to speak up and tell people that you care about, that you're concerned about a person in their life. Did anyone know how bad Mary's killer really was? Find out next week. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Send me an email at at theunlovelytruth.com or message me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at The Unlovely Truth or on Instagram at The Unlovely Truth Podcast. I love it when people are willing to have those hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, Cortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Heinlein. See you all next time!